This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Praise God. All right, well, here is the title of our message this morning, and it is titled Grace, the Remedy to Law. You'll see today in this message that God's grace, grace truly is a remedy to law. Now, that doesn't mean that law is bad. Law is God's perfect standard, but we are imperfect. And so, yes, it does actually harm, and it's intended to harm an imperfect people. And this is why God has given us grace as the remedy. All right, so now before we continue, as I already said, but I want to make sure that I say it again. You know, when I enjoy a movie, and I really enjoy it, or when I enjoy a good documentary, or I enjoy a sermon, you know, just listening to it, I like to listen to it over and over and over again, specifically if it ministers to my heart. But you know what I find? This is that most times when I re-watch something, when I re-listen to something, I find that I end up getting more out of it than I did the first time. I know that many of you have that habit of just, you know, going through this. This is why you like to have the notes and the scriptures that we use. Uh, And I do that too. I do that very often. I listen to something. There there are some messages that I've listened to probably, I wouldn't say hundreds, but I'd say tens of times because it just so blessed me. I mean, I can literally, I I I have them almost memorized and I know because I want to get the truth in me. And so in the same way, I want to encourage you to have that approach today. Like I said, we're going to touch on truths that we are familiar with. But I assure you, there's something that you're going to get out of this today that you probably haven't before. And so, so grace, the remedy to law. Now, before we continue, I need to explain and just bring us back to the place where we understand what remedy means. So what I did is I went and I had a look at it in the New Oxford American Dictionary. And this is how it defines it. It's not on the screen. But this is how it defines the word remedy. Firstly, it says that it's a medicine or treatment for a disease or injury. And yes, we know that's the primary use of that word. But the secondary meaning, which is how we are applying it today and how also it is commonly used, is this. So here's the second meaning to remedy. It's a means of counteracting or eliminating something undesirable. So that makes sense, doesn't it? And so when you think about grace as the remedy to law, I know that some people who think I'm coming against the law, who get me wrong because they won't listen to the whole thing or listen to me in context. So just keep listening. You'll see. I'm not an antinomian. I don't hate the law. I love the law. But as I always say, I love the law. I embrace the law. And I know that you do for the reasons God gave the law. But the truth is, is that God gave us grace as the remedy to law. Because you'll see today, <laughs> it is literally impossible to live by the law of God and relate to God by His law. And that's why He's given us the remedy of grace. So yes, in some ways, grace counteracts law. Grace eliminates having to relate to God by law because it's not God's desire for us. Ultimately, the people chose to do that. It was never His intention. But it's a good thing that He gave it to us 
because it helps us see how we truly fall short and how we need redemption in Jesus, which is the reason why we embrace the law. Amen. And so I'm going to say a lot of things. I'm going to clarify a lot of things for those of you who may be concerned and think that, you know, I'm coming against the law and, I'm, and I, <laughs> I don't have it all together about the law. We do, and it'll bless you today. And so we see that that's what it means. And so remedy also then means to set something right. Because when you remedy something, you're setting it right. And so this is why grace is the remedy to law. That grace doesn't set the law right. What grace does is set our relationship with God right. That's what it does. And that's what I mean. And that's how we're using it. And so grace is truly the remedy to law. It is how we are meant to relate to God as new covenant believers. You know, if someone were to say to you, how do you relate to God? For example, if someone were to say to me, how do you relate to Helena? Well, I relate to her as my wife. How do I relate to my daughter? I relate to her, to Gabby, as my daughter. How do I relate? You know, there's different ways we define how we relate to people. But when it comes to our relationship with God, we relate to Him as our Father, but we relate to Him by grace. Grace is the means how we relate to Him. Like I would relate to Helena as my wife. It means that, you know, I don't have to define what that looks like. It's different to any other relationship. And so that's what grace is. <clears throat> so... Let's begin by having a look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 14. Oh, Romans 6, 14. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under law, but under grace. Now, you may say, well, why are you using King James, the old King James? You know, we kind of in modern times. And it's interesting. The other day I was um, driving home and I listened to this radio, which I, it's one of the few that I like. But, you know, the presenter was talking about how he's been impacted by this one ministry of this young man who has this huge ministry and is very popular. And he kept on saying, you know, he's so tired of these guys using the old King James and speaking these and thous. And I thought to myself, that just shows me how little you understand the truth of translation. Or the accuracy of translation. Because, you know, most modern translations miss things like this. For example, look at this over here. It says here, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Notice that. And then it, there's a colon and it says, For ye. I mean, most translations, most modern translations, just put you instead of ye. And that takes away the meaning of what this is saying. Because what it's saying in that is actually so powerful, which I'll explain more in a minute. Okay. So, for sin shall not have dominion over you, it says. And here's the reason. For ye are not under law, but under grace. So, I want to point out four different things in that portion. And so, we're going to go through this and I'll show you real quick. Now, here comes the first thing that I want to point out to you. Okay, in that verse. So, we're going to look at this one a few times and I'm going to point things out to you. Here's the first one. It says there, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Okay, so notice it doesn't say sins, it says sin. And that's important, again, to understand, because there's a difference. This word sin here in the original is a noun. It's not a verb. So it's not talking about the actions. It's talking about the state, the condition of sin. And so it includes sins, because they stem from that condition, that state. 
but it's talking specifically about the state of sin. And so the way we need to understand this is for him saying, to be saying, for the state of sin or the condition of sin that you inherited from fallen Adam, because he's ultimately our natural ancestor, for the state of sin shall not have dominion over you. So it's not talking about specific sins. It's not talking about specific temptations. It's not talking about specific things that you may be struggling with. No, it's talking about the whole state of sin. Because we know, even though some people like to think they're perfect, they're not. None of us are. We're all descendants of a fallen being. We all are born into sin. We're all sinful by nature in fallen Adam. And so because of that, we have the sinful condition, the sinful state. And so this is what this is saying. For that nature, that fallen state will not have dominion over you. In other words, God has given us through grace, and I'm letting the cat out of the bag here, He's given us this wonderful victory over that state. So even though we live in this body that's still subject to that, and we live in this world that is fallen, we don't have to be a part of it. We don't have to be affected by it. It doesn't have to rule us. That's what this is saying. So the second thing that I want to point out to you here, it says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. What does it mean to have dominion? Well, dominion means to lord. It means to rule or to be master over you. So what he's saying here then so far is, is that the condition, the state of sin that you find yourself in is not going to lord over you. It's not going to rule over you. It's not going to be your master. So in other words, before receiving salvation in Jesus, it was. And if we're truthful, we all know that it was. Amen. And it still can be. But here he tells us it doesn't have to be because we have a greater victory. And so let's have a look now at the third thing that I want to show you in that portion. So there it is again. And it says, For sin shall not have dominion, watch this now, over you, and then look what it says, colon, for ye are not under law but under grace. And that's what I want to point out to you, the you and the ye. So what he is saying here in essence is, is that the state of sin, the condition of sin, is not going to rule over you or be master over you personally, you individually. And he's talking to a church here. He's talking to believers here. He says it's not going to have dominion, rulership over you personally. And then he says, colon, and he has the reason. He says, for ye, in other words, all of you, not just you, all of you in the church, all of you who have received salvation in Jesus are not under law, but under grace. Now, some don't know that and still try and relate to God by law, but it doesn't change the fact that they are actually under grace, not under law. If they just got revelation of that, they would enjoy being a believer a whole lot more, as you know, has been many of our experiences, including mine. And so that's the other thing that I want to point out to you. He's addressing the individual, but then he's also saying everyone who has received salvation in Jesus. So it doesn't just, it's not just you. It's not something specific that you've done. It's everyone who receives salvation in Jesus is not under law, but under grace. The fourth thing that I want to point out to you, here it is again. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye, watch this, are not under the law, but under grace. 
So what he is talking about here is the law of God. And as you know, the law of God is how the old covenant operates. It's the operating system of the old covenant, the law. The operating system of the new covenant is grace, right? Just like you have different operating systems in computers. You may have a Windows computer, as we call it. So the operating system is Microsoft Windows. And then you, so there may be someone who has a Apple computer, which runs on Macintosh, the Macintosh operating system. So two different operating systems, right? And that's what this is like. So it says you are not under the operating system of the old covenant. He says, but you are under the operating system of the new covenant. So the one is law, the other one is grace. So remember, we've seen there that it says that all believers are not under law. And all believers are under grace. Do they all live that way? No, this is why we need revelation. This is why we need teaching like this. But nonetheless, it doesn't change the fact. So let's leave that verse on. I want to talk a few things about that. So notice, it says under. What does that mean to be under? If you look up that word in the original, what it means is to be under the authority of. Or you could say it means to be a subordinate to. And so putting those meanings in there, you could also say it this way. Talking about all believers now, including the individuals. He says, for you are not under the authority of the law or under you are not a subordinate to the law, but you are under the authority of grace or a subordinate to grace. See that? That's important for us to understand. And so in another way you could say, that, you know, what he's saying there is, is that you don't relate to God by the old covenant system anymore. You relate to God by the new covenant system. And how did the law work? Well, the law is based on the Ten Commandments. There's another 603 around it. And so when you put them together, you have a system of rules and regulations, rituals, performances, and all kinds of things. And the people had to earn and deserve the favor of God. That's how that works. Well, what is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. So in other words, you can't earn it, you can't deserve it. If you do, it's no longer grace, it's reward, then you run the law. So for example, if you pray and you say, God, I want to trust you for a promotion. I want, you tr I want to trust you for increase. And by the way, I just want to remind you that in the last two months, I've read my Bible every day. I've been good to everyone as best as I can. I've been tithing faithfully. I've been going to church. I've been logging online. I've been listening to the teaching. And so if you do that, what you are doing is you are saying, God, look at my merit. Look at my performance. I think I qualify to have the answer to this prayer met. Now, it sounds pious, it sounds wonderful, and sadly, most of Christendom prays that way. But really, that is law. That is relating to God by law. It's a legalistic relationship. In other words, I do, you give me. I don't do, I can't expect you to give me. That's law. But when it comes to the new covenant, it's by grace, unmerited favor. In other words, Father, I know that I don't qualify. I know that in and of myself, I can never earn or deserve it. There's nothing I can do good enough that will 
qualify me for this, but you give it to me because you love me and because your love is unconditional and you don't look at my merit, so you give me your unmerited favor. In other words, we put our total trust and confidence in God. That's what grace is. And what Paul is saying here, writing to the uh, Roman church, but writing to us too, he says, you are no longer under the old covenant system of having to earn and deserve. You are now under the new covenant system where you get God's unmerited favor because of Jesus and the finished work of the cross, what he did for you. If you look at that carefully, you're not under law, but under grace. What he's saying too is, is that you as a believer should relate to God by one or the other. Do you agree? I mean, isn't that what that's saying? You need to relate to God by one or the other. And it shouldn't be law, it should be grace. Right? He's not saying relate to God by a mixture or a blend of the two. Which again, sadly, most of Christendom does today. You know, they say, well, you, yes, you saved by grace. But now you need to do these things if you want God to do this for you. And again, it sounds pious, but that's mixing law and grace. That's saying, yes, I'm going to have a little bit of law and a little bit of grace in my relationship with God. And I'm going to relate to Him that way. And if you look at Romans 7, which we don't have here today, it's almost like having an affair. I mean, imagine if your spouse said to you, you know, I want to get another wife or I want to get another husband, <laughs> if that's the that case. And I mean, what are you, how are you going to feel about it? Are you going to like that arrangement? <laughs> Sadly, you know, society is trying to normalize that. But no, that's not God's design and plan. And no one likes that, right? And so at the end of the day, we need to understand that what he's also saying in that portion is, is that we need to relate by one or the other. So either you relate to God by law or you relate to God by grace. And if you choose to relate by a mixture, you're still not in the perfect will of God. That's what he's saying, right? So having said that then, let me ask you a question. What would you say of a believer who relates to God by law or a mixture of law and grace? So if I presented someone to you who relates to God either by law or a mixture of law and grace, what would you say about that believer? Based on what we've just discussed so far, would you agree with me that we would have to say they're not obeying God? They're not living in God's will. They, they're not obeying God <laughs> because that's what God said, right? Also, and he has the other sad part. Not only are they not, just not obeying God, but also they are allowing sin to have dominion over themselves. Because it says, for sin will not have dominion over you for, in other words, he has the reason. You are not under law, you're under grace. So if someone places themselves under law or even mixed law with grace, what they are doing is that they are allowing sin to have dominion over them. Right? And that's not God's desire for us. Amen? So that's what the conclusion we would have to come to of someone who chooses to relate to God by law. In other words, merit and performance. Yes, I'm still going to do things and expect God to do things back for me. And when I mess up, I know He's going to, you know do something to me or let something happen to me. Well, if they relate to God that way, we have to say they, they, they're out of God's will. They're not obeying God. And even if they mix the two and say, well, you know, I'm going to do that, but I believe in grace, they're still mixing the two. And so when you think about that, how does sin have dominion over someone? Because it says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, provided that you live under grace. 
So if you live under law, then sin will have dominion over you. How do you know when sin has dominion over someone? Well, it's simple. If they're relating to God by their merit and performance, then when they don't measure up, which is going to happen often because God's standard is perfect and they themselves are imperfect, so they can never live up to a perfect law, what's going to happen? They're going to experience regular, chronic, if you will, shame, guilt, and condemnation. They're always going to feel inferior before God. They're always going to have some form of guilt, some sort of shame or condemnation. That's how you know when the state of sin is having dominion over them. And it also reveals to you that they're not living under grace, either because they don't understand it enough, they don't have enough confidence, or they just, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what they think, but ultimately they're not obeying God because that's what God said we need to do, right? So that's the first way we know. Well, that's one of the ways to know if sin has dominion over someone. The other way we can know, please listen to this carefully, because I haven't shared this before, not directly like this. The other way you can know if sin has dominion over someone is they have a false sense of righteousness and pride. In other words, they are self-righteous. In other words, They've decided to do what the Pharisees and Sadducees did in Jesus' time. This is why he rebuked them so many times. Because they would change the law to make it manageable. So that they could feel righteous. In other words, have, have a form of self-righteousness. And this is why they were proud and arrogant. And this is another way that sin has dominion over someone. They realize that they cannot live up to God's perfect standards. So in their minds... They make the law manageable. In other words, yes, I know God says that, but it is impossible to fulfill. So I, I think God accepts the best that I can do. So God is looking for a 10 out of 10. But if I give him a 9 out of 10, then I'm pretty much there. And I think that's good enough for God. <laughs> Sadly, it's not. It's all or nothing, as you've seen it. But yet that's what they will do. And so they will have a false sense of righteousness, self-righteousness. And also they'll be proud. So those are two ways you can tell if sin is having a, has dominion over someone. Either they have often they often deal with guilt, shame, and condemnation in their relationship with God, or they have a false sense of right. In other words, they walk around like a peacock, thinking that they're self-righteous. You know, look down on everyone else and judge everyone else and prophesy wrong things of everyone else, and they're proud. And you know, pride <laughs> is like bad breath. Everyone knows you've got it, except you. And so, you know, ultimately, they don't think that they're proud, but that's how it works. And so those are two ways you can know if someone has, you know, if sin has dominion over them because they're not living under grace. All right, so when a believer chooses to relate to God by law, they are relating to Him incorrectly, ultimately, as we have seen so far. True or not true? Come on, someone, give me the answer. When a believer chooses to relate to God by law, they are relating to Him incorrectly because He said, for you are not under law, but under grace as new covenant believers. Right? And so, question. Why does God not want you relating to Him by law? Think about it for a moment. I'm asking you the question personally. Why does God not want you relating to Him by law? Let's look at the answer. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 from the New Living Translation. Here is where we find the answer. It says, 
for no one can ever, no one ever, be made right with God by doing what the law commands. See, even if you get to a 9 out of 10, even if you get to a 9.9 out of 10, it's never going to be good enough. This is why no one can ever be made right with God by the law, by what the law commands. Then it says, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. In other words, the purpose of the law is to really just show us how we fall short of God's perfect standard as imperfect beings. And as imperfect beings, we're never, in, in Adam that is, we are never going to fulfill and live up to that law, to God's law. And so this is why it is impossible. So why would anyone want to relate to God by law? You know, people hang on to it because of tradition, because of Judaism and, and the, the connection to Judah. And it's all good. We love the Jewish people. We love all that. But that's not how God intended for us to live beyond the cross, right? And so this is what we see here. And you can see here that it is impossible for anyone. So here we have three reasons in this portion of Scripture. Look at it again as I go through them. Three reasons. God's law will always make you feel inferior towards God because it says no one can ever have right standing with God by the law. In other words, the law will always make you feel inferior toward God. Secondly, the, God's law will always prevent you from living in true grace. Right? Because if you're trying to live by law, it's going to prevent you from living in true grace. Because Paul said earlier, it is either one or the other. Right? Third reason we see here is, is that God's law will always keep you sin conscious. It will always keep sin in your conscience. It will always keep reminding you of how you fall short. Because there it says at the end of that verse, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. In other words, the law always keeps reminding you of, your, of the sinful state, of how you fall short. You know, you can kind of liken the law to a mirror. I mean, if you think about it, when you wake up in the morning, let's just say that you're a drooler. And so, you know, you drooled on this side and you drooled on this side. And then there was some that drooled out of your nose. <laughs> I'm trying to be gross for, for a pur on, on purpose. And so, yeah, you have all this dry drool kind of coming down the neck. And you wake up in the morning and your hair's in a mess. And some of the drool is also on your hair, if you have long hair. And so you wake up and you drag yourself to the bathroom and you stand in front of the mirror. Well, the mirror is going to do its job perfectly, right? It's going to reflect and show you what you look like. You know, all messed up and full of drool. And what, it's going to, what you're going to see by that is, is that you need to clean up, right? But is the mirror going to clean you up? Can the mirror do the cleaning for you? No, the mirror just shows you your current state. But it cannot do anything about changing that state for you, right? And this is how the law is. And this is what he's saying in this portion in Romans 3.20. He's saying the law serves like a mirror that shows you that <laughs> without Jesus, without redemption in Jesus and in fallen Adam, this is your state. You are full of sin. And therefore, the law is going to keep showing you where you fall short and reminding you how sinful you are. 
And that's all ever you're going to think about. But the law itself cannot do anything to clean you. And you know, some people think that the law can. They think, okay, so if I do those things, if I do those rules and keep those commandments, and if I do this and if I do that to a 9 out of 10, then the law has cleaned me. The law hasn't cleaned you. <laughs> and you're not there. You're not perfect. You haven't reached that point. No matter how good you get at it, you still fall short. And that's what the law will always do because it's designed to do that. The law will always keep you sin conscious. Let me read this portion to you from the Passion Translation. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 to 3 from the Passion. It says there, The old system of living under the law, see that? Presented us with only a faint shadow. So it's not even the real. Jesus is the real. Grace is the real. A crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, watch this, there was still nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. See, the law is incapable of helping you, of making you perfect. So no matter how good you become at following the so-called commandments of God, you're just never going to get to a place where you are perfect before God. And that's the design of the law. This is why Paul said, you're not under law, you're under grace. He had revelation and he wants us to understand the revelation. Then it goes on and it says in verse 2 and 3, For if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin. Hold on a minute. This is inferring that the sacrifice of Jesus does eliminate sin. Praise God for that. They would have ceased to be offered and the worshippers would have had, would have, watch us, clean consciences. You see, when we put our total trust and confidence in Jesus and what He did to redeem us, He took our sin upon Himself. He died for us and as us in fallen Adam. And He was raised to new life and gives us new life. Therefore, we can have a clear conscience. So we don't have to live around and walk around sin conscience. We can actually live free of that. Now, do we mess up? Yes. You know, is there, is there grace for that? Yes. Is that a license to just go do wrong? Obviously not. Then you're not understanding the gospel correctly. But it says here that they would not have had clean conscience. Then it says, instead, once was not enough. So by repetitive sacrifices year after year. See, that's talking about the uh, system of Judaism, of the old covenant. The worshippers were continually reminded of their sins with their hearts still impure. So the whole year through, on the Day of Atonement, they would bring a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for the past year. And then, you know, the, the following year, as it went by, before the next Atonement Day, they would be conscious of sin all the time until they brought the sacrifice. And based on what we've seen so far, this is not how God wants New Covenant believers to live. He doesn't want them going around thinking of sin and being conscious of their sins and how they've messed up and how they don't measure up. Because it's impossible. This is why He gives us grace and He gives us redemption in Jesus. Amen. Praise God. You see, this is why God does not want you relating to Him by law. So yes, the law is there to show us and point us to Jesus. And yes, the law is there to show us God's expectance, His character, His, what He expects from us. But we trust Him and you know Him in us to help us live a holy and righteous life because He's made us righteous and holy. It's not about earning or deserving. Amen. 
And so that's why he doesn't want you relating to him by law. But you think about it. By grace, God has done, we've seen here, three things. He's done more than that, but three things that I want to point out to you in everything that we've seen so far. By grace, we've seen that God has provided a better way for you to relate to him, which is grace, right? And also we see that by grace, God has redeemed you and forgiven you of all your sins. Praise God. And then also we see that by grace, God has provided a way for you to live free from the consciousness of sin. In other words, He wants you to have a free relationship with God, uncluttered, unhindered by anything that you've done or haven't done, because He has taken care of it at the cross. That's why it's called grace. You don't merit it. It's unmerited favor. Amen. So the new covenant then, contrary to popular opinion out there, the new covenant is not a revision of the old covenant or an improvement of the old covenant or an addition to the old covenant. It's not. The new covenant is not a revision of the old. The new covenant is not an improvement to the old. The new covenant is not an addition to the old. It's not. There are two different operating systems, two different ways of relating to God. Now remember, I'm talking about covenants, not testaments, right? And so <clears throat> it is a totally different way of relating to God under the new covenant, under grace. And of course, based on that and what we've seen, the severity of the law so far, we see that grace, this is why grace is God's remedy for law. Amen. Praise God for that. Now, look at this in Galatians 5 and verse 4. We're familiar with this one, but let's read it from the Passion Translation. This is talking to those, Paul here is talking to those who want to go back to law. They want to go back to Judaism uh, after having received salvation in Jesus. Watch what he says here to them. He says, if you want to be made holy by fulfilling the obligations of the law, you have cut off more than your flesh. He's talking about circumcision. In other words, they received salvation in Jesus and, you know, they were learning about grace, but then they had peer pressure and, you know, the religious leaders were putting pressure on them. So they thought, you know, if I just go and get circumcised, at least I can have a bit of law and have a bit of grace. And he says, if you do that, you're cutting more than just your foreskin. <laughs> He's saying, watch what he says next. You have cut yourself, yourselves off from the anointed one. That's talking about Jesus. And, watch this, have fallen away from the revelation of grace. In other words, if you decide to go back to law or relate to God more by law or embrace law and mix it with grace, he's saying you are cutting yourself off from what Jesus has done for you and you're falling from grace, from the revelation of grace. See, again, that shows us that it's an all or nothing. Both of them are all or nothing systems. Either you relate to God by law or you relate to God by grace. Just like you can't have, uh, well, it's not really entirely true, but you can't have the two operating systems functioning at the exact same time on the same computer. Yes, you can have both and use them at separate times, but you can't have them both working at the exact same time and be doing the task that you're doing with both operating systems functioning for you at the exact same time. You can't do that. And that's what he's saying here. This is that <laughs> you can't. It's either by law or it's by grace. And he says, you're not under law. You're under grace. So what are you doing, you know, 
fellowshipping, trying to relate to God by law, in essence, is what he's saying. So you can see from this too, that mixing law and grace is not the solution either. Law and grace are both all or nothing systems. So either you relate to God by law or you relate to Him by grace. There is no in-between. Amen. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 3, verse 19 from the Passion again. Watch this. It says, Now we realize that everything the law says is addressed to those who are under its authority. This is, this is for two reasons. So that every excuse will be silenced and no boasting of innocence. And so that the entire world will be held accountable to God's standards. In other words, if you want to place yourself under the law, here's what the law is going to tell you or show you. Number one, it'll show you that there is no one who's innocent. So it's going to shut you up because no one can say I measure up. Secondly, it says the whole world is held accountable to those standards. So at the end of the day, who can live up under the law and measure up to the law? Let's read that same portion from the New Life version. It helps us understand it a bit clearer. It says, now we know that the law speaks to those who live under the law. No one can say that he does not know what sin is. Yes, every person in the world stands guilty before God. In other words, you see, the law is how we know that we need grace, that we need redemption in Jesus. Because that's what the law does. It's like the mirror. It shows us in our ancestor fallen Adam, we're all fallen. We're all sinful. None of us measure up. We all need redemption. And that's what it's saying here. It's re-emphasizing that. And you know, earlier on I said, you know, someone may think, and remember I said to you, how sin dominates, how sin has dominion over someone. It's either through guilt, shame, and condemnation, or through self-righteousness, you know, pride, thinking that they measure up. Well, you know, you may have someone who says, well, I think I measure up to the law pretty good. And you know, sadly, when I think about my BG days, before understanding Grace days, I kind of was like that. And I'm sure some of you can relate to that. I mean, I walked around like a bit of a peacock. You know, I put on this false humility. But yeah, you know, it's like, I mean, ministry. I mean, I can't think of anything that I'm not doing. Just that thought alone is pride. But anyway, you know, and so I would think, well, I'm tithing and I'm going to church. I'm in ministry. I'm teaching the word and I'm helping others and I'm doing deliverances and blah, 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 blah. And so I would kind of develop this sense of self-righteousness because I felt like I was measuring up. So I would walk around with a bit of pride. And you know, it's like bad breath. I didn't know I had it until someone pointed it out to me. Grace mostly. And so that's what I'm talking about. So, I, you know, there was a time where I used to think that I was measuring up to God's standard pretty good. Why? Because again, the teaching I was under made us think that it was, you know, they made it manageable and made us think that we were measuring up. <laughs> How little did we understand then? Because no one can. And you know, I thought I was measuring 9.9. .9. And I thought, I think that's good enough. I think God can accept that, understanding that I'm a, you know, I'm a descendant of fallen Adam. No, he doesn't. And look at James chapter 2, verse 10. You see, James understood and knew some people would say that and think that. So look what he says in James 2, verse 10. He says, for the one who attempts, you see, that's the most we can do is attempt because it's impossible to actually do it. For the one who attempts to keep all of the law of Moses, 
That's the law of God. But fails, watch this, in just one point has become guilty of breaking the law in every respect. So <laughs> that crushed my wonderful, self-righteous, proud, arrogant achievement dream. Or what I thought I had achieved. Because here it says, if I think I'm going to relate to God by law, first of all, I can only try, I can only attempt. I'm never going to be able to do it. Secondly, it says that if I mess up just on one thing, I'm guilty of breaking all of it. You see, that's why it's an all or nothing system. And this, it's the same thing with grace, but grace is not based on laws and regulations. It's based on unmerited favor. And so there is no such thing as living up to the law as best as you can. Isn't that what that verse is telling us? There is no such thing as thinking that you can live up to the law as best as you can and God will accept it. A 9 out of 10. 7 out of 10. No. You break one, you're guilty of all. Right? So it is impossible to relate to God by law. In other words, it is impossible to relate to God by rule keeping, by merit, by performance. This is why we need to be under grace like we are meant to be under grace, like God said we are under grace. Amen. Look at Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. It says, We know full well that we don't receive God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law. See, so if you think you're going to become righteous before God by law keeping, it doesn't. It doesn't happen that way. It says, but by the faith of Jesus. See, not even your own faith. And most translations sadly get this wrong. They say faith in Jesus. It's not in, it's of. You go look at the original, it's of. It says, but by the faith of Jesus. So see, even <laughs> the faith we have, the ability to believe we have, couldn't possibly achieve that. So it's done by the faith of Jesus, the Messiah. Watch this. His faithfulness, not ours, so it qualifies it, has saved us. And we have received, you see, that's grace, God's perfect righteousness. So all you do is receive, not based on your merit, but based on what Jesus has done for you. Now we know that God accepts no one by the keeping of religious laws. See that? If we want to relate to God by law, we are never going to experience right standing with God. No matter how good we think we are, we get at it. It's just not going to happen. It only happens by grace. Look at Romans 3 verse 23 from the New Living Translation. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. See, in and of ourselves, none of us could ever live up to God's law. None of us, none of us could ever relate to God by law. This is why... God introduced the new covenant. So it is futile to try and relate to God by law, even by some, even to a degree, even by bringing in a little bit. It's impossible. You know, you've heard this kind of thing in Christendom. To try and make the law manageable, what you hear, you hear teaching like this. You know, well, yes, yes, that's right. We're not under the whole law today, really. And then this is what you hear. You know, there's the ceremonial law, there is the civil law, and then there is the moral law. Well, the ceremonial law is done because we don't need to sacrifice animals and go through those rituals. Jesus did it at the cross. We, don't, we, can, we need some of the civil law because we need to have relationships, but the greater law of love is really what helps us here. But as far as the moral law, we need that because that keeps us in check. Really? So Christ in you 
and the new life you have in Jesus and His Word as new covenant believers is not as potent as the moral law? Well, <laughs> you see, this is where a whole lot of controversy comes in. And this is why some people maybe, maybe just don't like me. And too bad, so sad, you know. But that's the way it is. The gospel truth is the gospel truth. But it is futile to try and relate to God by law. And you know, just by the way, God Himself never one time go through Scripture Someone who says to you, yes, we don't live under the ceremonial law, the civil law, but yes, we live under the moral law. Ask them to show you scripture where God himself divides the law that way. Where he says, yes, this doesn't apply to you, but yes, this applies to you. He never does that. That's a man-made thing. God, to try and make the law manageable, to try and keep people living under law. God never did that. And so it's pointless. You see, grace, on the other hand, is fully effective when it comes to relating to God. Because it's based on our unmerited favor. It's not based on our merits, our performance, our doing, our deserving. No, it is based purely on us putting our trust and confidence in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And we come to God by grace. So it is fully effective. But let me give you three reasons why, real quick, why grace is fully effective and the law is not, because the law cannot do these things for you, but grace does these things for you. You ready? He has three reasons. The first one we find in Ephesians 1 verse 7. It says, In whom we have redemption through His blood. Talking about Jesus. Watch this. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So forgiveness comes through grace. And that's what we see here. Forgiveness is only possible by grace. That's why God wants us under grace. Here's the second reason. We find that in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. It says, Being justified, in other words, given right standing, freely, watch this, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what do we see there? The justification or righteousness or right standing is only possible by grace. You see it? Right there, right? The law can't do that. Only grace can do that. And then here's the third thing, which we find in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Watch what it says. But grow in grace, not in law, in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So what do we see there? That spiritual growth, true spiritual growth, is only possible by grace. That's why he says, grow in grace. Talking about spiritual growth. And so the law can't do that. <laughs> this is why grace is so much more effective when it comes to relating to God. This is why he says, you run the grace, not under law. Because the law cannot do these things for you. Amen. The only true new covenant way of relating to God is by grace and grace alone, ultimately. This is why he said, you know, you are not under law, but you're under grace. You are speaking to the whole church and to the individual. Look at Hebrews 8 verse 13. It says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means, watch this, He has made the first one. In other words, the old covenant. Watch what it says next. You can look it up in any, in any translation. It's going to say the same thing. He has made it obsolete. It is now, watch this, out of date and will soon disappear. 
And he was talking to those in his time, meaning that by our time, it should be gone. It should have disappeared from our lives. Not disappeared physically, <laughs> but as far as us relating to God is what he's talking about. So notice then that portion. It's so clear that it says that God himself did away with the old covenant, the old way of relating to God, the law. So that people, this is why they're no longer under law, but they're under grace. Because it's like I said to you, it's the mirror and it, the mirror of the law showed us our state in fallen Adam, but it couldn't clean us. And so God sent his son Jesus to redeem us and clean us, if you will. And therefore, once he has cleaned us once for all time. So if you have been cleaned once for all time of your sin, of fallenness, of the state of sin, if you have been cleaned of all sin and sinfulness, do you need the mirror again? Do you still need to go back to the mirror? I mean, imagine that if someone had the capability, you wake up full of drool, like I said, and everything. You look at the mirror and it shows, and you think, oh my goodness. And I'll present you with a solution that will clean you up now and forevermore, and you will never need to be cleaned up again. Would you ever need that mirror again? Would you ever need to go back to that mirror again to assess yourself, to determine yourself? If I could guarantee you forever eternal cleanliness, you wouldn't bother. You wouldn't need the mirror. And in essence, that's what this is saying. That's what God is saying. He's made it obsolete. It's out of date. It is it disappeared. Why? Because you don't need it anymore. You don't need to relate to God that way. You have been cleaned by the sacrifice of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the body of Jesus, by redemption in Jesus. Amen. Praise God. This is why Paul said, you are not under law, you're under grace. You see, we are ultimately saved by grace. And we are to continue living by grace. Isn't that so? Ephesians 2 verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So are you saved by grace? Yes. So then, therefore, we need to continue living by grace and relating to God by grace. Look at this in Colossians 2, verse 16. It says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how did you receive Him? Receive him? By grace right? Colossians 2.6. You've received him by grace, right? He says, so walk in him. Notice the as and the so. In other words, the way you receive Jesus is the way you live in Jesus in this life. And how's that? By grace. Amen. This is why Paul, when he wrote that in Romans, and he said, you are not under law, but you're under grace. It was such a passionate statement which I hope I'm conveying to you today because I have lived that life. I have seen what it can do. I've seen how it can destroy your heart. It can destroy you from the inside out. And you know it's not God's intention. This is why He provides grace for us. And that's why He says you are under grace. Amen. So I want to leave you with this thought here, this portion. Hebrews 13 verse 9. Watch what He writes here and He says, do not be carried about by various and strange doctrines. And you'll see that he's talking about in comparison to grace here. He says, so do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Watch this. And he's going to qualify. For it is good that the heart be established 
by grace. Now you know that the strange and diverse doctrines have to do with things outside of grace. Law, mixing law and grace, and anything else. For it is good that the heart be established by grace. And then he says, not with foods, talking about the law, which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So he's talking about the law, the food practices of the law. So he's addressing something specific. But the point that he's bringing across here to new covenant believers is, is that your heart needs to be established by grace and in grace. Amen. And that's the heart of what we want to convey to you today. And I trust in all of that you have seen that grace is truly the remedy to law. I hope that you've seen that. Praise God for the fact that grace is the remedy to law. Amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Isn't God's word good? Amen. I trust that this has just rekindled that fire or just added fuel to that good fire. And now you feel more compelled. You feel more convinced. You feel more sure that relating to God by grace is the way. And like I said, it's not that we hate the law. It's not that we don't appreciate the law. I love God's law. I meditate on God's law. I look at God's law. And I say, you know, Father, thank you that Christ in me, Jesus in me, helps me live your nature, your character. But it's not because I'm trying to earn or deserve. It is because that's your nature. And I know that you're doing a work in me and you will complete it to the end. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.